Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. It's Wednesday, October 26th. First, there were the miners. And now, in the aftermath of the Ethereum merge, there's a new class of blockchain participants in town. These are the builders. But what exactly do these builders do? And why are Ethereum critics so worried about them? For insights on these questions, we've got Bloomberg Crypto reporters Olga Karif and David Pan. Olga, David, what a pleasure to have you both in the studio in the case of David and virtually in the studio in the case of Olga. David, why don't you introduce yourself? My name is David Pan. I'm a crypto reporter at Bloomberg. I cover uh, crypto mining. Olga? Hi, um, I'm Olga Karif. I'm a crypto reporter here at Bloomberg. Um, cover all kinds of stuff, um, including happenings and upgrades on Ethereum. And it's great to be here. Ethereum. I feel like we talk about that a lot because there's been a lot going on. One of the things that was going on was the merge. And it, it's so weird that so many thousands of people spent years like preparing for this thing, worrying about this thing, criticizing this thing, thinking this thing was never going to happen. And now we're like, yeah, it's totally happened. We've moved on. We're in the we're in the new era. As part of that new era, you know, both of you have worked on various stories about, let's call it pre-merge and, and post-merge, where pre-merge, the most important players in a proof-of-work ecosystem are some folks called miners. In a post-merge ecosystem, you're starting to hear words like builders and, you know, validators. And what I would love for you both to explain to our audiences is why these builders matter, what they do and where they came from. And Olga, I'll start with you. Sure. So before the merge, it was a fairly simple system. There were the miners and that was pretty much it. The miners essentially organized the Ethereum blockchain. And then after the merge, uh, what was changed was they got rid of the miners. Uh, they did this because the miners consumed a lot of energy. They used, they were basically very powerful computers that uh, were used to order transactions on the network. And instead of the miners, they now have three types of parties that essentially do the, the same job. Um, they're validators, they're builders, and they're relays. And essentially the builders, they uh, package transactions into blocks. They pass them on to relays, and the relays deliver the blocks to validators who order the blocks into the blockchain. So this is the new world order, if you will. In this new world order, David, what are some of the things that folks are criticizing right now? 
Yeah, one of the major things is、um, the higher level of concentration compared to pre-merge era,、um, because before the merge, there are literally like hundreds of thousands of miners who are、um, you know validating the transaction data、uh, on the Ethereum network. But after the merge, we are seeing essentially centralized entities like Kim and other like. Uh, staking services providers,、um, you know, just a handful of them, who are kind of like you know responsible for providing the staking services and、uh, performing the same tasks that were you know they used to be performed by the miners. So, if I were to phrase that a different way, the big criticism, if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly, is that we went from this ecosystem in which lots of people or lots of computers. Were equally important in kind of performing these key tasks, but in this transition, it's a smaller number of important entities that are performing these key tasks, and as a result, folks are concerned about the risks of concentration and centralization, which are two words that people who are fans of crypto are allergic to. This is in contrast to like mining Bitcoin, because I feel like. On our own stories, whenever we do a story about Bitcoin miners, it's always like these gigantic data centers, lit in green, <laughs> and there's lots of computers in them and humming and noise. And then you know you had the story about Ethereum miners, and it was like here are some people in their apartments, <laughs> and they have laptops. And so it it seemed like it was possible for people who weren't large corporations to be Ethereum miners pre-merge. Is that correct? Exactly. And now, post merge, not only are those folks like out of a job, as it were, but they've been replaced by much bigger, spendier, centralized entities. Yeah, one clear example that shows that there will be a higher level of centralization after the merge is that it requires the protocol requires at least thirty-two、uh, ether、um, to, you know, to participate in in the staking process. Hello there. My name's Moses, and I'm one of the producers on the Bloomberg Crypto Podcast. Before we carry on, I'm going to quickly break down some of the terms that we use on today's episode. Firstly, we have staking. Now, you can think of staking like a kind of crypto collateral, where you agree to lock up your crypto for a specific amount of time, allowing others to make transactions with your digital assets, and in return, you earn a reward or get paid a yield. Thirty-two ether or thirty-two hundred ether. Thirty-two e. Okay, great. Ether. Yep. And if I just、uh, may j-、uh, jump in, so it's possible for people to contribute less、e- ether and join a pool、uh, and become part of a validator pool. But but so so there are issues with concentration in Ethereum now in all three of this、uh, kind of new parts that have been created in the merge. So. With validators, the problem is that you know all these people who did not have 32 ether, they、uh, a lot of them joined Lido, which is a staking pool, which now controls about 30 percent of all staking power on Ethereum. Other people、uh, started staking through Coinbase, which now controls about another 13 percent of、uh, validator power on Ethereum. So together. They, these two entities add up to forty-three percent of validator power on Ethereum.、Uh, but、uh, experts that I talked to said that 
you know, it's enough to have for somebody to have 30, about 33, 34% of validator power to actually start messing with the network. So uh, allowing double spend and so forth. And of course, you know, most people say, well, we don't expect Mm -hmm. something like this to happen with Coinbase. We don't expect this to happen with Lido. Um, But, uh, you know, looking at Lido, for instance, it, um, it is a network of a lot of different validators, but it's controlled by... Uh, by Lido through software and Lido or somebody at Lido could potentially make, uh, you know, decisions that maybe its community would not want made. Coming up, more from Bloomberg reporters Olga Karif and David Pan on how builders could shake up Ethereum's landscape. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. There are people who believe that the only way forward in constructing a blockchain is something that looks and sounds like Bitcoin and is built on proof of work. And there are folks who are like, absolutely not. (laughs) Proof of stake is the way of the future. Where do you all think the like the reality of the ecosystem is going? Like, are we going to see more people really looking at this proof of stake move and saying like, yeah, I want to move forward here. Are we going to see people like really doubling down on proof of work because they're like, we're worried about these concentration risks. Yes, there's other risks associated with Bitcoin, but this seems like a better trade off to us. Well, it seems like uh, in in blockchain, there has always been uh, people a trade off between like, do you get more centralization or do you get more security? So it's it's a. and I think a lot of decentralization that people think exists in blockchain is actually a myth because, for instance, uh, you know, people love this idea that, uh, you know, everything on blockchain is run by smart contracts. A smart contract. Now, a smart contract is code which lives on the blockchain that operates automatically when certain conditions are met. There's no human involvement, you know, it's all fair and square, nobody can interfere, et cetera, et cetera. 
But actually, it turns out that, for instance, on Ethereum, most uh, smart contracts actually have a back door. It's called an admin key. And, you know, certain people can go in and change sometimes everything about the smart contract, depending on how the, the keys have been set up. And I think this is true to a lot of other um, parts of the blockchain ecosystem, if you will. Uh, you know, what people are finding out is that very often, you know, to manage something well, you need a little bit more <laughs> centralization. You know, for instance, one problem with the DAOs, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations, is that, you know, they're very hard to manage. You know, a group of people, random people from around the world has a very hard time sometimes coming to a consensus and making decisions and proposing things. And so I think some amount of um, a move to more centralization sort of is probably a normal part of making things more manageable and making them work better. Yeah, and uh, you also hear this opposite argument from uh, Bitcoin purists and maxis. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, they uh, fully, be- I mean, Bitcoin network is arguably the most decentralized network and it's really hard to control because it's literally you know, validated um, by miners, mm-hmm. uh, by computers. And it's hard. The immutability is really high for Bitcoin, for the Bitcoin network. But we also see the very um, serious issues in terms of scalability and also the network efficiency. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why it, it has been really hard and time con- consuming to de- develop any kind of commercially viable um, projects on Bitcoin in terms of like payment or even games or other things that that could be developed on Ethereum. I think the challenge is that, you know, this is like arguing over whether cake is better than pie. It's pie, just for the record. But the... Um, because, the, you know, folks who are on the Bitcoin side of the house will say like, well, actually, we don't want to be a, a layer for gaming, right? Like we're, we're Bitcoin. We don't we don't you can you can take your NFTs and whatever it is that you're trying to do. Like, that's not interesting to us. Um, so it's almost as if the incentives or another way of thinking about this is it seems like as we get more and more specialized approaches to blockchains, what you're going to find is that there are going to be very few one-size-fits-all applications. And that, you know, this seems to be kind of forcing a lot more, if not necessarily sophistication, at least more nuance in terms of, I am trying to solve this specific kind of problem. For the kind of problem I'm trying to solve, yes, Bitcoin is going to work fine for me, or actually I'm going to need to do this with Ethereum, or I'm going to need to do this on some other blockchain. Absolutely. I think that's exactly sort of, I completely agree with this, uh, there are so many different blockchains with such different structures uh, that, and some are uh, supposed to be better for for gaming. Others are supposed to better to be better for um, decentralized financial applications, and they each have vastly different designs in a lot of cases. And mm-hmm. so, uh, it, that's a, a chance for people to pick kind of what they believe in and, and what they feel comfortable with. Yeah, and and I would say like as as we go into a more sophisticated stage of the, the blockchain industry, we're also seeing more niche pitches from from individual uh, different blockchain projects. You know, some some of them may be, they may be targeting uh, people who, are, who prioritize privacy. You right. know, there are also proof, 
like zero knowledge uh, me- uh, mechanism for certain blockchains. And when we when we talk about zero knowledge, it's basically making it really hard <laughs> for somebody to know who you are, um, which is, of course, an arms race between the feds and everyone else. Olga, David, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It was great to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Olga, and thank you, David. You can find more of Olga and David's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, on Bloomberg.com, or on Twitter. Olga is at Olga Karif, that's O-L-G-A-K-H-A-R-I-F, and David is at David Pan underscore one, that's D-A-V-I-D-P-A-N underscore, and then the number one. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, It used to be that if you were a crypto startup, you could raise money with pretty much nothing more than a website and a smile. Really. But as the crypto winter comes for basically everyone, fundraising is getting more challenging. So who's still in the game? And when is a down round not a down round? This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. Or find us on Twitter, we're at crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergalina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohamed Farouk and Sharon Bariro. Our associate producers are Ty Butler and Moses Undam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.